Today on the show, we're snacking before dinner because we're adults and we can have ice cream before our vegetables and no one can stop us. <laughs> you hear me, Mom? You hear me? <laughs> Welcome to Gam Jabbar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name's Abu. My name is Leo. <laughs> and dear listener. Yes. Welcome hey. to this first of a new kind of episode we're experimenting with. You look great today. How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Sorry, misread the scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're trying out a new thing. This is a spice morsel episode. Very exciting. Very exciting. And look, before we explain, let's get the spoiler warning out of the way. Today's episode will contain spoilers from both Dune and Dune Messiah, the first two books in the series. Yes. Good thing we have book club episodes Whoa. that cover the entirety of both book one and book two. How convenient. What? That is crazy <laughs> convenient. That's cool. So go check those episodes out. If you haven't read those books, get caught up and then come back and listen to this episode. Indeed. Now, what is this episode? <laughs> Let's talk about it. <laughs> if you've listened to the aforementioned book club, if you've gone on that journey with us, then you already know we like to end those episodes with some rapid fire spice morsels, you know, small bits of kind of deep cut Dune lore pulled often from the uh, Dune encyclopedia and or crazy etymological research on my part. Yeah. <laughs> Random ferret facts from last week's episode. <laughs> now, many of you have written to us about how much you enjoy the morsels. And in fact, Thomas Jordan, listener, what's up? What up, Tom? Tommy? Thomas? Suggested an entire episode of morsels. Said, I like it. Give me a whole dinner of appetizers. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Gyoza. A thousand gyoza. <laughs> Give me. <laughs> and uh, that's what today is. We're going to be doing an entire episode of Spice Morsels exploring the nooks and crannies of the Dune universe, little topics that maybe couldn't justify an hour, no matter how much we do like to talk about things. That's true. The morsels we're going to do in these kinds of episodes are often parts of Dune lore that aren't quite big enough to like have their own dedicated episode, but they're still super fun world-building details that we love. And it's the small details that really make this universe spectacular. So they're still worth talking about. Indeed. Very much so. So, without further ado, let's jump into it. <laughs> let's get into our first of the spice morsels. First up, we have Juana. Yeah. So, Juana Marcus is the late wife of the souk doctor, Yui Wellington. Indeed. Who we all know very well from the first Dune book. A million deaths is not enough. A million deaths <laughs> is not enough for Dr. Yui. And Wana is actually the key reason for his betrayal against the Atreides. Right. That we know as well from the movie and the book. What we don't know a whole lot about is Wana herself. Indeed. And thus, we wanted to dedicate this morsel to learning more about her. Who is she? What's her story? Mm. 
The Dune Encyclopedia tells us that Wana is a talented Bene Gesserit adept, and according to Moheim's journals, she was especially skilled in truth trance and truth saying. So naturally, Wana was being trained for a future role as a potential truth sayer, and perhaps even a position on the Kojita Vera Council, which a quick search in the encyclopedia explains is a council of truth sayers within the Bene Gesserit, sort of like a truth sayer committee within the organization. Oh, that's fun. Nice little career path for her. Yeah, yeah. Solid career path, which unfortunately doesn't pan out because all of that changes when Paul comes onto the Bene Gesserit radar. Oh, damn it, Jessica. <laughs> Ruining Juana's career. Indeed. Uh, now, Moheim, upon Paul's birth, kind of entering into the equation and their whole, I don't know, 10,000-year plan being fucked up, <laughs> wanted to move quickly to ensure the arrival of the Kwisatz Haderach. The door is closing. She needs to grab her hat. So, Wana was given the task of acting as a decoy. This is not the life Wana envisioned for herself. This is rough. Yeah. Yeah. Wana's mission, should she choose to accept it, just kidding, she has to do it, <laughs> is infiltrate the Harkonnens. Go. Do that. And her presence, then acting as a reminder to Baron Harkonnen of Yui's access to the Atreides household as their Sook doctor. Ooh. Which is fucking dark. That's wild. Yeah. And we get this quote. The scheme turned on the strength of Yui's love for his Bene Gesserit wife and the extent to which he could be depended upon to protect her from harm. End quote. So, Wana would act as the catalyst that brings about the entire Harkonnen plot, and it was all part of a larger Bene Gesserit plan to clear a path for the Kwisatz Haderach. Literally, the sacrificial lamb yes. thrown into the machinations to basically act as a leverage for Yui. It's just nuts. Like a literal pawn on the chessboard. It's awful. Yeah. Oh, Wana. <laughs> it's wild. Truly, the sisterhood back here pulling strings from behind the curtain. How did Wana feel about all of this, though? Well, for her part, Wana was completely loyal to the sisterhood. To the very end. She carried out this mission without question. The Bene Gesserit actually told Wana that she was specifically chosen for this suicide mission because of, quote, her courage, her record of obedience, her special training, and her exquisite gifts, end quote. A lot of flattery in there. I feel like the obedience was the one they really cared about. Yeah, that really comes out of there. It's like an obvious outlier. Yeah. <laughs> her courage, she was great nice total she's a slave to our whims <laughs> and also she was really good at origami it's like okay i think that third one though felt a little different <laughs> right one of these is not like the other <laughs> obviously this is a bit of flattery it sounds like a crock of shit but to be fair to the benny jesuit the dune encyclopedia tells us that wana's death was mourned with genuine sorrow so I, I guess some of the Bene Gesserit did genuinely feel bad for turning her into a sacrificial lamb. <laughs> Thank goodness for that, at least. Now, the great playwright, Harkel Harba, shout out to that whole episode, basically the Shakespeare of Dune, celebrated Juana's life and a tragic death in his play, History of Duke Leto Part Two, And yeah, 
I mean, hey, she made the piece of drama. She made the history books. Yeah. Which is another testament to perhaps how pivotal a role she played right. in this universe. <laughs> Willingly, perhaps. I don't know. Hard to say. Hard to say. Now, the last bit we have on Wana here is something we don't know, actually. Because while we're given all this information in the Dune Encyclopedia, the Encyclopedia doesn't tell us much about her actual relationship with Dr. Yui. What we can assume, though, is from the way that Yui remembers her in the first book, it was probably a genuine and loving marriage. Like, he wouldn't be pining over her if it was a horrible marriage where they were arguing or she was absent all the time. So you have to imagine that there was passion and love and care between the two of them for the time that they were together. It is, however, again, there's like this undercurrent beneath all of that. It's sad to consider how the Bene Gesserit manipulated that love and care, though. They used Wana and they manipulated Yui's love for her to bring about this plan ultimately for their Kwisatz Haderach. Right. So that's sort of the underlying tragedy of all of this. Both Wana and Yui were seemingly played by the Bene Gesserit for a larger plan that neither of them were truly a part of. Right. Wana was perhaps a little complicit in it, but poor Yui, only the victim here. Well, off to a grim start. Uh, let's move <laughs> on to our next morsel. Yeah. Fremen sculpture, The Eyes of Muad'Dib. Ooh. I love this. Love it. Super cool. So, two years after Paul walked out into the desert, a Fremen delegation proposed building a monument to Muad'Dib in the gap left by his atomics on the shield wall, which is incredible. Now, the delegation noted that the crumbled remains of the west side of the wall looked kind of like a human face, <laughs> which is just a fascinating coincidence. Yeah. And being the superstitious group they are, the Fremen interpreted this as a sign from Shai Hulud that a giant Mount Rushmore-style head of Paul should be carved there, looking out over the desert. Love it. Amazing. Just like such a bold vision. <laughs> also that this is the gap caused by his atomic explosion that he used to break the right. shield wall. Incredible. Incredible. The Dune Encyclopedia tells us that the workers used a traditional Fremen technique called wind etching to carve the monument. Quote, areas to be protected were to be covered with sheets of plasteel, thus allowing the sandstorms from the desert side of the wall to grind away the exposed areas. End quote. So fascinating. Also, so fucking slow. Are you kidding me? <laughs> They're like, okay, we set up the plasteel. Now we just wait for great, 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 great grandmothers of storms. And we just uh, chill. Right. The literal timeline of this project was 60 years insane nuts but also canonical the fremen are patient the fremen are patient people right even 60 seems fast to me right like yeah carving stone through the method of i don't know natural erosion waiting <laughs> like that shit takes hundreds of years so it is also a testament to <laughs> the weather of Arrakis that they, had, right. uh, they, they could get through it in 60. That's how much erosion is happening on this planet at all times. Wow. Yeah, it's true. Unfortunately. Oh, no. The project faced backlash, Leo, from the very start. What? There were naysayers. Naysayers? Saying nay? <laughs> 
saying nay. Oh. And they weren't horses. They weren't even Thorses. They weren't Thorses. <laughs> Thorses. <laughs> famous naysayers. <laughs> Many of the desert fremen were against any sort of depictions of human form. Again, they're a superstitious bunch. But particularly, they were against depictions of the Messiah himself, of Paul. Right. right. And I liked this detail because this is very Muslim of them. In Muslim religion and traditions and cultures, the Prophet Muhammad is not allowed to be depicted in any form, in any form of art. So this very much aligns with that ideology. Nevertheless, the project got underway in 10,218 AG and continued for a couple of years until this backlash, this outcry, grew so loud that for safety reasons, basically, they had to put it on hold. Right. They were like, okay, let's let's just kind of leave off where it is now and wait for people to chill out and then revisit the project in a few years once people have forgotten about it. Unfortunately, again, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> the project was never again continued. And so a half-finished sculpture of Muad'Dib's face looked out over the desert until it was destroyed. Quote, Work was then permanently halted on the project, and only the eyes of Muad'Dib remained to stare sightlessly into the desert into which their original had wandered. End quote. Wow. Just the symbolism of that. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, this is like Paul, his privileged royal life eroded by the violent natural forces of Arrakis, now blind and sightless, looking out into the desert this desolate wasteland but also that contains the potential for the future of humanity yeah <laughs> dope fucking cool incredible my art degree is so happy it's working out great <laughs> <laughs> also i love this little fun fact you put in the script here if you happen to own the first edition paperback of dune messiah the monument to muadib is actually on the cover art by jack gaugan Gaugahan. 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 It's a G-H, so it could be one of 19 pronunciations. And the Monument to Muad'Dib apparently also makes appearances on many other covers over the years. Yeah. Which is super cool. Yeah, so if you need a visual of what this could look like, check out some old Dune Messiah covers. It's actually the ebook that I have, that I use, has this old weird cover of Paul Muad'Dib's eyes this monument so it's cool to see this tiny detail make its way to the cover of the book how fun super neat okay let's take a quick short break here folks but don't go anywhere because the plate is not empty mm. we got some more morsels to eat and we're part of the hashtag clean plate club so we'll see you <laughs> in a minute when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. Pick up your utensils again. We're getting back to eating. <laughs> up first, we have Inkvine. Ooh, Inkvine. Now, 
Gurney Halleck, famous, hot man. No, he's described as <laughs> ugly, but he, he fucks. It's canonical. He fucks. Described, yeah. he fucks, as having an ink vine scar along his jaw, which, as we covered in our Gurney episode, he received from an ink vine whip during his time in the Harkonnen slave pits. Oh, it's also Beast Raban's whip, wasn't it, specifically? It was, yep. yeah. So, shout out to the, like, opening scene of Beast Raban walking with a whip on his uh, little belt thing. Right, from the movie. Yeah. Now, the Dune Encyclopedia tells us that ink vine is a, quote, parasitic vine native to Giddy Prime, used since the planet was first settled as a whip. The vine grows on any surface, clinging to it by producing a compound which includes hydrochloric acid and several different types of poisons, end quote. <laughs> so the acid allows the ink vine to penetrate solid rock or glass, and then the poisons also kill the host, which, God, that just does sound like something that would come from Giddy Prime, doesn't it? Yeah, for real. Super on brand. <laughs> so several different types of poisons covering its bases. It's like, <laughs> one is not enough. <laughs> Hilariously, this chapter in the Dune Encyclopedia seems like it was written by Harkonnen, because this is what it says next. Quote, when used as a whip, the ink vine can be a very convincing argument against laziness or misbehavior. End quote. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right. It's like, Jesus, who wrote this? Harkonnen? Goddamn. Yeah. The encyclopedia adds a little more detail to that. When an ink vine whip strikes flesh... It punctures the skin and injects a few drops of that aforementioned acid and poison under the skin. This causes an intense burning pain that lasts for several hours. Goddamn. But wait, there's more. Sure. Of course. Of course. That intense burning eventually goes away, thankfully. Okay. Maybe you use some sort of bomb to deal with it. But... The skin is often left permanently discolored, and a low-level ache at the spot where it hit can last up to six years. Oh, my God. Six years? Six years! Good heavens. For me, honestly, that, like, recontextualizes that whole scar on Gurney's face. Yeah. Who knows how long Gurney's fucking face has been hurting. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, if he was a young man when he got that, that's also like a developmental period of his life where he just had pain in his face. Right. Every day for right. six years. Wild stuff. Brutal. All right. We're almost through our set of morsels today. One more to go. This is another deadly poisonous <laughs> morsel. Yes. This one is also on brand. I figured, hey, you know, we're talking about the Harkonnens. We should talk about another one of their favorite tools. Makes the sort of clean plate club thing kind of a threat that these last two morsels are poisonous. <laughs> our literal poison. Right? Yeah. Chomerky ah. is our last morsel for today. This is a term you might be familiar with. It comes up quite often throughout all of the Dune books. Right. And the Dune Encyclopedia tells us that it's, quote, one of the most famous and popular poisons of the old Imperium, often used by assassins. Mm. Chomarchy was a colorless and odorless liquid nearly always administered in drinks. End quote. Okay, cool. Yeah. Rad. <laughs> <laughs> Rad. <laughs> so Chomarchy is extremely difficult to detect, as the encyclopedia has told us. And it also explains that 
Traumarchy kills its victims in mere minutes. Mm. So this is no like slow acting poison that'll get you in a month or that'll like wear down your organs over the course of a few years. This is a poison that will kill you in mere minutes after you ingest it. Horrifyingly, no known antidotes exist to Chamarki. None. But there are rumors that claim a few homegrown primitive antidotes may work in counteracting the poison. And for me, this really took me back to <laughs> when my grandma, my Pakistani grandma. Yeah, when you were poisoned. <laughs> when yeah. I was poisoned, right. Used to just put 7-Up and milk and mix it up in a glass for me. What? As a rep, this is real. So yeah. I ask any brown person <laughs> as a remedy to basically any illness. Seven up. Seven up in cold milk. Milk and seven up mixed it up in a glass. Okay. Almond milk. As effective, less effective. You know, I don't think my grandma knew about almond milk. So <laughs> she was just giving me like. I want to know how this home remedy would be updated <laughs> in 2022. Right. There's got to be a more uh, updated version of the remedy. Uh, but back when I was younger and when I would have tummy aches or anything, if I had the flu, a sore throat, a cold, stomach ache, I was puking, I had diarrhea, should be like seven up and milk, kiddo. Let's do it. Oh, I've got this. I've got exactly the solution <laughs> for that specific problem. Is it a can of seven up and some milk? Yep. You fucking madman. We're doing it again. <laughs> we're doing it again. So. That's what this part in the Dune Encyclopedia made me think of is like there's grandmas out there in the Dune universe mixing seven up and milk together to combat Chomarchy. <laughs> oh my God. That's phenomenal. I need to try that. I'm so curious about the taste. Okay. Wow. I'm going to get fixated on that. So let's finish this morsel up. Y'all might actually remember a victim of Chomarchy that we've talked about on this podcast, and that is. Emperor Elrude the Ninth. Yay! The father of Shaddam the Fourth. So, we know that Shaddam himself was potentially responsible, allegedly responsible. Allegedly. Allegedly. It was never confirmed because Count <laughs> Fenring is very good at his job. Responsible for the poisoning, although it was Count Fenring himself who actually administered the poison in the spice beer that Elrude loves so much. Seven imperial agents were executed because of Elrude's death, and notably, none of them were either Shaddam or Fenring. So, <laughs> the perfect crime executed over a span of a while. Also, I think it was, no, Fenring didn't do a slow-acting poison. It was, like, administered in small doses over time, so it would just look like aging and dying naturally. Yeah. Very, very cool. Very tricky. Now, the Dune Encyclopedia hilariously sums up how widespread and effective Chamarki was in the Imperium with the following quote, quote, the list of the distinguished victims of Chamarki is too long to cite here, <laughs> end quote. It's just too many people. Who died from it? Too many. Too many. Yeah. Mind you, this is a 700 plus page encyclopedia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The very definition of nothing is too long for us to fucking include in this. Right. You need spice coffee recipes? <laughs> we got you, fam. We got you. Oh, a list of distinguished victims? Nah, no space. We're trying to keep the word count low. Right. Enormous. Can you imagine how many dukes and emperors have succumbed to Chamarki? The list must be endless. 
It's like Appendix 5, 75 <laughs> pages of just font size 7 names. Yeah. Yeah. Wild stuff. Incredible. Well, there it is. Our plate for today is clean. Mm. We've chomped down on all of our spice morsels. But before we let you go, dear listener, we do want to remind you of two great ways to support this podcast and help us continue to do what we do best. Indeed. Now, the first thing, kind of a one-off, you want some cool Dune stuff? Things that are related to Dune? You a fan of Dune? We have Dune-themed merchandise. That is super cool. I get compliments on it. No one even knows it's Dune. You can check that out. Gamjabarshop.com. A great, subtle way to fly your nerd flag. Yeah. You can let the world know how much your personality revolves around the universe of Dune and Frank <laughs> Herbert's writings. And you can support us at the same time. A win-win. Truly. Another great way to support us is to become a patron at patreon.com slash You'll get cool benefits like ad-free episodes, Whoa. weekly bloopers, oh. and an invitation to our exclusive Discord server where you can chat with me and Leo directly and get to know the wonderful geeky group of people that have joined our siege. I literally cannot believe that that is as good as it is. Truly. Dang. Of course, we have to shout out our Kwisatz Haderach level patrons, Case Aiken, Nate, Hyde. You two are the perfect combination of 7-Up and Milk, the remedy <laughs> to the continued existence of this podcast, and we cannot thank you enough. The perfect ratio. <laughs> seven parts 7-Up, seven, seven parts milk. <laughs> Chug. <laughs> Chug like your life depends on it. <laughs> oh, man. It's a real thing. I need the brown people in our audience to back me up on this and email us about it. Or just let us know what home remedies you have. Yeah, that too. Mine was water and sleep. <laughs> Finally, we'd like to hear what you thought about today's episode. Do you want us to do more Spice Morsel episodes like this one? What obscure parts of the Dune universe are you interested in learning more about? What do you think? Write us an email. Let us know. Gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We want to know your thoughts so we can continue delivering the best experience possible. Indeed. As good an experience as 7-Up and Milk. <laughs> <laughs> Look, every remedy, okay? Yeah. I don't know if any, any Pfizer scientists have tried this on coronavirus, but... Listen. I haven't gotten corona. You haven't? No. I'm going strong because of the 7-Up and milk I chug every day, is Listen, what I'm saying. I don't mean to make correlation causation, but I think you fucking cracked this case <laughs> wide open. Cracked it wide open, buddy. Damn. I'm immune to everything. I got it twice. <laughs> oh, no. And I didn't I didn't drink any 7-Up and milk. Fuck. <laughs> there you go. Correlation does equal causation in this case. <laughs> in all cases. <laughs> Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic. So help spread the word of Mwadib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the golden path. <laughs>